House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Well, welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren, and over there is Mr. David Rose North Martinez. <laughs> You're back Rose is to back. the Rose today, ah. Mr. Serial Killer. Well, I'm in a mood <laughs> to scream, right? You know, why not? Yeah. Yeah. You know, what am I going to do? I, you know, i got to get <laughs> new headshots, because mine aren't good oh, enough. For that's right. Book and Buzz Magazine cover of the month, July. Geez, I didn't even have to sleep with someone to get that. Wow. <laughs> I know. <That's>, they obviously <laughs> didn't read new. my books, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I would have never, I would have been inside the back cover, you know, bathroom <laughs> reading 2022. <laughs> <laughs> you just go to Kmart, get a photo. <laughs> There's no Kmart anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. in the dollar store, Bim. There we go. Yeah. Well, but I know that you have more in there than me. No, that's true. <laughs> anyway, that's enough. That's enough of this. Let's get to the serious stuff. we got a real writer. That's right. So, um, Now, the book, first book, called The Local, a legal thriller, and it's with the uh, author Joey Hartstone. Uh, thank you for being on the show, Joey. Thank you for having me. He says with caution. <laughs> I wonder now, I see this. As your first book, and um, but you've been doing uh, television and film writing, and that's kind of a different animal. And and what made you jump over into doing something like this? Largely that the television and film writing dried up for me for a couple of years, so I uh, I, I kind of hit an interesting point in my career where the TV show I was on, Your Honor, had just wrapped its first season and the pandemic hit and uh, there was no second season anytime in our near future, so I found myself with more free time than I'd had in about seven years and I had this one story that I wanted to tell and I had envisioned it as a TV series but had just read the entire Lincoln Lawyer series because I had been up for a staffing position on that TV show, which I didn't get, which also helped free up my time. And I loved that series of books, and I had this legal story that I wanted to tell, and I thought I should try to do it as a novel and see what happens. Well, that's all right. The Lincoln Lawyer sucks. <laughs> no, it's such a good series. And they're doing really well. I'm happy for them. They, I liked everybody involved. I just It was a job I wanted and did not get. Yeah, well... Like I said, hey, and you, so Rob Reiner, you did a couple of films uh, directed by him. Is it, did, did you get to meet him and work with him, or no? Oh yeah, yeah, um, that was probably one of the more uh, entertaining experiences of my life. The the first movie I did was LBJ, so I had written that script, and then when Rob signed on, it became a real movie, and we went and filmed it in New Orleans. So I was there with him for probably four months, and I got to work very closely with him. He did rewrites on the script, and we got to do that together, and yeah, it was a dream come true. Yeah, he's pretty amazing director, actually. I like I like him a lot. So yeah, he. That's that's a highlight. Um, wow. So do you have to write things differently? But like you said this, because I know you're writing, let's say, for a series or, or a film. It's a different type of writing than writing a story in a book, even though you might see the local as something as a series. Isn't it? Isn't it a different process for you? Yeah, writing a book was much more solitary. Uh, it sort of reminded me of writing scripts before anyone was reading my scripts, actually. Um but yeah, I, I'm used to now 
either working with somebody like Rob, who, who has a lot of input and ultimately is, is the real author of that project, or working in a writer's room on a TV show where I'm getting to work with seven, eight, nine other writers and collaborating every single day. Um, so this was much more solitary. I had a few very close, trusted readers, first and foremost, my wife, Abby. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a solitary endeavor and, and that was fun and liberating in some ways and also scary because I didn't have the benefit of a lot of people's perspective and input. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes that's good. Um, it can be. Yeah. Because it can go either way. It can, it can affect the way you write the direction and sometimes, um, sometimes change parts of the story that might not, might not end up working. Um, so when you get to this, like where, you said you had a story to tell. Um, so is this very personal for you? The character is personal for me. The this, this story came from a conversation I had with a friend of mine in, uh, who I had gone to college with, and he's an intellectual property lawyer, and he told me that his work was taking him away from Boston into this small town in East Texas. And as he told me about this this place I'd never heard of that was actually the site of more patent infringement lawsuits than anywhere else in the country, I just became fascinated by this little town and the lawyers who work there and what goes on. And I just kept asking him more and more questions over the weeks and months, and I knew I wanted to write about it. And it just was one of those stories that sort of slowly developed over a couple of years, and then the timing was right to really roll up my sleeves and try to tell this one. So when you tell this kind of a story, but um, you're using a, a, a real setting and, and reality in it, how do you develop a character into that? Like, how do you, how do you make a, a full character that has something that is, is believable to, to readers? Yeah, well, I guess I started with the circumstance because this character's job was so interesting to me. Uh, basically, what happens is is major corporations throughout the world are sued in this small town, and they're represented by big legal teams from major cities, but they have to have a local council on their team. And as, as this this venue became bigger and bigger, the out-of-town lawyers realized that these local attorneys could play a really invaluable role because they could communicate with the local juries in ways that the out-of-town people could not. And so I just I thought, okay, I want this character who's really good in a courtroom, who just is very savvy and also can connect with other human beings on this level, and he's sort of a hired gun. Um, so I started with what his profession was. I borrowed a bit from my life and, and then from a lot of other characters, from a lot of other legal thrillers that I loved and tried to come up with something a bit new. Well, the jacket copy mentions the uh, Byzantine world of criminal law. Did, did you have to simplify a lot to make uh, it understandable to the average person who isn't a lawyer but likes this type of a story? Yeah, I hope that I'm positioned fairly well to do that because I'm not a lawyer, so mm -hmm. my knowledge only goes so far. I, I wish I was a lawyer, and I thought about going to law school many times, but hopefully I have just enough understanding to write about it well, but not too much understanding that I go over people's heads because I don't think I don't think that's going to happen and then the other thing was that because my main character was a patent lawyer putting him in the world of criminal law was kind of freeing because he was allowed to make mistakes and to not know things about criminal law because that wasn't his specialty anyway uh, well did you so when you said it's an, um, important for you the story you were interested did, was there a point under the story was there some sort of subtext you wanted people to get out of it yeah, a few themes emerged. There was some some father son stuff that came up 
first with the main character and then with the a few secondary characters, and I realized that that theme was certainly in the book and probably an important theme in my life as well. Um, unresolved issues with parents, I think, you know, it's always good to fodder for material. And, and yeah, I wanted to, there's a love story in there. there. There's sort of a lot of little small characters that I liked. And I liked that this, this town is about 23,000 in population, which was about half the size of Flagstaff, Arizona, where I'm from. But I liked writing about a small place where everybody kind of knows each other and there are secrets there that outsiders are, are not privy to but that the the town itself was was it's a little trite but to say the town was itself a character and and the insider outsider nature of the story and a patent law here uh became a theme as well wow so do you um expect any sort of a a backlash or any sort of a little bit of a rougher ride when you involve something like this and and with you know patent lawyer and and uh, small town and things like that. Do you, do, you, do you have to be careful on how you represent that? I wasn't too careful. I mean, I wasn't, I, I don't think you should write about real things and then be concerned about how the, how those subjects are going to respond because I think that affects the work. But also I think I treated it fairly. Uh, the few people who do pay attention to what goes on with patent litigation in East Texas are usually very critical of it. Um, the issue of patent trolling is very big, and that's where that's where people usually lawyers buy up patents that nobody is using, and they buy it up solely for the purpose of suing other corporations. Um, so, when John Oliver NPR do a piece on the Eastern District of Texas, it's always very critical. And I, I wanted to get into a little bit of that, and I may get into it more if I get the opportunity to write another book. But when I met with lawyers in, in Marshall, Texas, who do this for a living, I was really, I was really taken by how much they love their work, and I like characters who are very passionate about what they do. So I think I shined a little bit of a light on some of, some of the uh, more negative sides of the profession. But it, there, there's also a romantic take to it because these, these people who do this love what they do, and they're very proud of, of where they where they live and, and what their work is. So I wanted to show that as well. Hmm. How do you, do you ever kind of set a you know, say um, set a certain amount of what you're going to include about yourself in 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 let's say the main character or a character that you use that kind of is you? Well, the 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 main character delivers an opening statement in the first couple of chapters of the book, and and it's all about a, a high school experience that he had, and then another character asks him if it's true, and he says, "Well, all the best stories are true." And I think that that's, that's right, that I think any time I get a little bit tripped up or, or, or something feels insincere in one of my stories, I just go to the well of either myself or somebody that I know very well. And I think if you tell something authentically like that, uh, it comes across. So if for no other reason than a, as, a, as a cheat to, to come up with a more multidimensional character, I think borrowing from my own life makes it easier. How do you experience your characters? Do you have an inner monologue can you hear the dialogue uh, in your head is that is that how you um, uh, you, you create uh, uh, your characters yeah that's usually when I when I really feel like I, I've finally gotten to the point where I can write it is I mean it's another cliche but like when your characters start talking when I start thinking about it, I don't have to really work that hard to think about how this particular character w would speak in a certain situation uh, then I know I'm ready to, to kind of go forward. But, uh, you know, like I said, I'm from Arizona, which is not Texas, but it's not far enough removed that, that I don't have a pretty good understanding of 
how people from that state speak. And so more than a lot of characters I've written, I, I think I felt closer to this character, and so it wasn't that difficult to step into his shoes. So in essence, you're hearing voices. <laughs> exactly. They're still talking to me. I hear at least two right now. Oh, David and that's Al. right. That's right. Yeah. Well, the important thing is, do you wake up at, in the middle of the night and find mud on your shoes or something? <laughs> Shovel by yes. the bed, you know, something. With the devil and the angel on your shoulder. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I haven't figured out who's who yet. But. Yeah. Well, you, you, never, you never know till it's too late. That's right. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, but you ever feel like a little bit of being vulnerable some, somewhat by exposing some of your own feelings? Like, and I say this because, you know, it used to be when, as a writer or something, you would do things and there was very little access to, to you by everyone. But now with the Internet and social media and websites and all this sort of stuff, people, you're really exposed to everybody all the time and people can say um, anything they want sometimes even pick out things that you've maybe ex you know expressed in your own feelings or beliefs in something in a, in a story or the character and they can turn around and kind of put it down does that sort of do you are you cautious of that or yeah, that's a really good question. I think I've evolved over the past say, 20 years in my writing with that. I, I remember when I first started writing, I, I was deathly afraid of exactly what you said. I didn't want to reveal too much of myself. I'm a fairly private person. I wasn't really on social media until this book was getting published, and then I knew I had to be. Um, so yeah, I did try to conceal parts of myself, but I found that the writing was better when I didn't do that. And then honestly, as I think I hit my late 30s, I married my wife, I think I got just more comfortable that I, I am who I am. Hopefully I'm always a work in progress, but I, I just don't feel as compelled to try to hide it or, or put, put a lot of makeup on it and try to convince you I'm someone who I'm not. Yeah, and, and makeup makes you break out anyway. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Take it from Dave. You... Yes. <laughs> I'll tell you. I, so with something like this, you said you you – we're thinking of it. It could be a series and stuff. Would you would you turn something like this into a into a series or something like that? Or yeah, definitely. I you series of books or TV yeah, series. Either the one. Answer, either one. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely envision this as as an ongoing character. So I, I have a couple ideas for what the next two books could be, and then I hope I'll be pitching this as a TV series probably early in 2023. And uh, yeah, I would love to see both of those things happen. Do do when you sat down to write this? Did you have in mind, um, like the beginning, middle, end? Do you have it all outlined, or is this sort of something like where you have a question, you create a character, and then you just run with it? Yeah, I do, most of my work I think is in the outlining phase. So I try to plot everything out, especially if there's a mystery component to it, because I don't like no, not knowing where I'm going. So, yeah, I have a very thorough outline. I spend more time working on the outline than I do on the first draft because I, I just want to know where I'm going. And every once in a while something new or surprising happens, but that's pretty rare, and I think it's only because I've already plotted out my course ahead of time. Now, even though you, um, you write with an outline, um, do, do your characters ever surprise you and kind of rebel against that outline, whether, whether it's in – you know, the novel that you've written now or uh, in, in uh, your TV writing? Yeah, it happens from time to time, and it's usually 
uh, yeah, they're rewarding moments and they're exciting, but it doesn't happen that much. I, I, I'm a big researcher. I, I do a lot of thinking about what I'm doing and crafting the story before time. But yeah, the few times where I feel it going in a different direction or even better when it just sort of happens, uh, yeah, that's always a thrilling moment. Do, do you ever get um, bogged down in, in things um, like research or, or something and it kind of interferes with your writing? Yeah, that's definitely a trap you have to look out for. So the two movies that I wrote were both based on, on real people and real events. And so research is, a, is a, you know an integral component to that. But uh, it, as we all know as writers, that you're always looking for something to do other than writing. And researching can be as good of an excuse as anything to not write. So you do have to hit a moment where you, where you decide you've, you've learned enough to, to start onto the next step. Yeah. Well, I would imagine the LBJ would have been real controversial, you know, being 2016, Rob Reiner. And there's, and I say that because 16, we had uh, the Trump influence and we're so many conspiratorial thinkers out there. And there's a lot of people that there's such a love hate for LBJ. There's people that think he killed Kennedy, that he's, you know, he's the, the, the reason everything bad is in the world. And then there's people that love him. So, when you're on that kind of a platform and you have Rob Reiner, who's very public um, left Democrat person, I would imagine that it would be very, um, I don't know, you would have to think a lot about how you're writing. Well, the, it was really interesting because we did two movies. They were both somewhat political and they both came out after the 2016 election, but they were both completed before the 2016 election. So there were always people trying to read into what we were saying, but we had not foreseen the election. So when, when I was writing LBJ, the, 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 the comparison I made was I was looking at Johnson and I was looking at Kennedy and here was Johnson, the sort of older statesman with a lot of experience, but not a lot of charisma who had seen this other person take the job that he wanted. And it was a younger, more charismatic and intriguing person. And it felt very much to me like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, that it was sort of the similar type of dynamics between the two of them. And so I thought, well, this will feel like perfect timing when Hillary's elected, because I, I think there are some similarities between her and Johnson. And then Trump got elected. And so then there were all these pieces written about how they were both, how Trump and Johnson were both vulgar and trying to find, you know, similarities and, and themes that were, would connect to Trump. But that was not really in my mind. I mean, I don't even think Trump was a candidate when I started writing that script. Oh, come on. You planned it. You're part of the conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure, sure. <laughs> sure you were one of those lizard people and George Soros and all that stuff. Come on. It, it didn't work then. I should have written something that would have got more people in the theaters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, he should have been lizard. You know, he had, yeah. he, had uh, he had dry skin. Um, yeah. I, I just think that it would be very crazy because people became very um, aggressive and it wouldn't be hard for someone to call you names at this particular time, you know. Well, you know, Lyndon Johnson is such an interesting figure because, and a bit of it is from the time where he's from, but he's he was socially fairly liberal on a lot of policies. He's also racist. He also is probably more responsible than any other president for the Vietnam War. Um, he was a Southerner. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't as if 
I had written, a, say, a movie about George W. Bush, and I would expect, you know, people would think, okay, I'm a liberal Hollywood person, so I'm, it's going to be critical. So you can kind of be critical of Lyndon Johnson without even necessarily revealing what your politics are. And it seems that there were, you know, there were Republicans of the time that didn't like him, but there were also all the anti-war protesters in Johnson's day that also didn't like him, and they're usually much more left-leaning. So I, I guess there was enough hatred to go around for LBJ that I wasn't too worried that anyone was going to be all that upset. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's always that way because uh, uh, people try to, I think, assign, let's say, how the 1960s and LBJ would be to, a, let's say, a liberal conservative now in 2020. And that's just not going to – it's a different animal, really. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, Rob Reiner used to talk about that all the time because he would say, I hated LBJ. LBJ was my enemy. I was against the Vietnam War. I thought I was going to get sent to my death because of LBJ. But then this movie is about the passage of the Civil Rights Act, and we started talking about the Great Society and some of the legislation that he got through and, and what an incredibly um, liberal agenda that actually was until the Vietnam War really uh, tanked his presidency. So, yeah, he's a, he's a complicated figure. Yeah, I think that's with a lot of people. You know, we see a lot of that with um, today's time even because um, people are more concerned about what perhaps your politics are or perhaps some of the things you say or do um, rather than the achievements you make or what you're actually fighting for. So I think that's kind of a, a, a difference in our times. But that leads me to asking when you write something like this and when you get into this patent lawyer and, and the book, the local, um, are you focused or even concerned with political correctness or, or how you have the characters behave or speak? Yeah, a little bit. Um, it, you know, I wanted, I, I think it was one thing I had to focus on was like I said, the, the main character was certainly taken a little bit from myself. Um, but like, you know, I, I am, I am someone who, who has lived in Hollywood for almost 20 years now, and this character lives in a small town in Texas. So I think it made sense that he was probably liberal, that he could be a Democrat, that tort reform would be an issue that would be very important to him, and he wouldn't want to see it. So I, I could kind of guess what his political leanings would be, but at the same time, you know, that's a part of the country where everybody owns a gun, um, and, and it's a very conservative part of the country. So a liberal in East Texas is going to be different than a liberal in Hollywood. And I wanted to, I never wanted that character to not ring true. So I did have to, at times ask myself, is that, is that really the character or is that just me? And then try to tailor something to be more authentic to an East Texan. Yeah. I, I would see that would be very, you you would really have to give that a lot of thought because you want to make sure you're right. It rings true. If people have to believe in the character or you lose. Yeah, for sure. And and I don't, I, I don't necessarily want to write a character that I disagree with him on everything, but at the same time, I don't need to, I don't need my characters to, to be reflections of me entirely. And I don't need to hear my own political views spouted through all of my characters. Cause I feel like that would just get aggravating for anyone in the audience or any of the readers. So it's also fun to embrace somebody who's slightly different than myself and, and see where that goes. Yeah. Yeah. You want to reach a certain level of fame before you start just putting yourself in everything. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, then you get like Dave there who's, uh, Oh yeah. Everything he does is Dave, 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 Dave. Yeah, well, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, but you know, he's a star. But I mean, I get oh yeah, sure. I get a little tired sure. of that myself. <laughs> Everyone does. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy, you're off the show for two weeks now, but <laughs> <laughs> it happens fast. <clears throat> yeah, it does. You know, I'm, I'm you know, the queen. So <laughs> when, you, when you finish a project like this and you look back at it, do you, do you see things in your writing that you prefer to change now? Yeah, there's always that that point, and it, it was really hard with with the book because when it, when it's a movie, it's not. I don't really have final say over anything, so it, it, in some way, I, that can be frustrating because you you want to have more control, but in another way, it's liberating because I, I don't have control of it, so I can kind of let it go and know that I'm not going to be the final arbiter of anything. And with the book, that just wasn't the case. So, yeah, going through it and thinking, wait, is this the actual last draft I'm ever going to read? And and, and that combined with how much time it takes to read through a manuscript versus a screenplay or a teleplay. You can only do it so many times. And, uh, yeah, it's a little scary to let it go, knowing that you are solely responsible for all the words in there. You can't blame an actor's performance or a director's vision or anybody else. It's just you. Yeah, because your name's on the cover. <laughs> it should <laughs> be, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not. Well, I don't know. Sometimes I wish my name wasn't. But, you know, <laughs> if your name's on the cover, the book stops there, right? So it's yeah. kind of it's kind of you. It's not like you can pass it to the director or producer or all the other stuff and kind of, you know. Oh, that's yes. interesting. So do things like um, what's going on in your life affect how your writing comes out? And I say this because, you know, we've been through some pretty weird times during the time probably you're writing this. I'd imagine the last couple of years. So you've got this, you know, pandemic and you've got anti-mask and you've got anti-vax you got all this stuff going on around you outside your door people dying and all this stuff does it sort of seep into your writing and make it darker yeah it definitely could uh, so this manuscript was completed i think in the at the end of summer of 2020 so the pandemic had certainly begun but not everything that you mentioned it had fully taken shape but i would say more it was really the personal parts of my life like i said there's a there's a real father-son dynamic to this even though the father character is no longer alive uh, my father died about 12 years ago so i think that was still something that i hadn't really written much about and i was interested in exploring and then um this this my main character's wife has also died before the book begins and, and that was actually i think what happened is I, I got married to my best friend and and all of a sudden i had this this huge fear that I, that she wouldn't be around forever. And I, it was, it was, it was a fear that I found was just starting to plague me. And I felt like I needed to confront it and deal with it. And so putting it into the story was a way I was sort of able to do that. And I think kind of put it to rest a little bit, which was nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how that is. Um, how many books do you think will be in this series? Oh, I hope at least a dozen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I have at least three that, that I really would like to write. And and yeah, even even if I'm fortunate enough to write other things, I, w- I would love to just every once in a while return to Marshall, Texas and this character and, and see what they're up to. Well, yeah, and you got to put someone in that, like me. you got to have a character like me. Obviously, yes, <laughs> yes. Well, I'll try it. Who, who, are your, who are your influences in your writing itself? And that, that's a very generic stock question, but I also go for um, people that influence you, let's say, that are not writers. So do you have sort of, is there music or is there other forces at work here? Yeah, um, the the writers would be sort of the the obvious ones, uh, Scott Turow and John Grisham for sure. 
and then Michael Connolly as well. And um, I'd say Aaron Sorkin as a screenwriter was, was certainly one of the reasons that I, I wanted to become a screenwriter. And beyond that, I, um, I would say, honestly, lawyers. I, I really, it is really a profession that I, I wish I had tried, and, and I, I admire people who go to law school, and I'm envious of, of their education and, and what they can do with their lives. And, and so, yeah, anytime some lawyer is unfortunate enough to cross paths with me, I'm going to try to corner them and ask them endless questions about what they do. Boy, or, you know, lawyers are not necessarily like that well, you know. Well, I'm fortunate enough that I have several in my family and, and close circle of friends. So uh, I, I haven't met a lot of lawyers in circumstances where, where you wouldn't want to encounter one at least. Yeah. Well, you know, do you watch the people's court? I do not. <laughs> Should I? Well, I just, I'm just throwing it out there to see what happens. Maybe Judge Judy or something. Maybe you'll be the next TV judge. <laughs> yeah, maybe I, I saw Steve Harvey on yesterday, so I guess anybody can do it. Well, anybody can nowadays. Just, come on, this is the capitalist way. We're going to make yeah. we're going to make a start of you here. So you know, yeah, you figure out what figure out the angle. You kind of look like you could be a judge. I could see you in a black robe and being real mean. Jeez, I, <laughs> I, it's not a you know I wouldn't I wouldn't turn the job down. I'm only forty though. I don't know, and with no legal experience, so, well, so maybe please. maybe a, maybe I missed the boat on when who was going to appoint me then to a judgeship. Well, you should have got in when Trump was there. Come on, what do you think? Exactly. Let's get on. Yeah. You could be on the Supreme Court right now. <laughs> I could be. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to go there. That could be rough. Um, well, what what do you got coming up next then? Are you just going back to work? Work for like TV and stuff, or are you going to jump on another yeah. book? No, I'm working on the second season of Your Honor, which is a show on Showtime that stars Brian Cranston. So that should be coming out. Uh, I think the first episodes will air at the end of the year, and that should keep me busy till 2023. You know, he's he's an interesting guy too. How do you how do you um, make things or keep things fresh, I guess, in stuff, something like a series writing. Because I would imagine writers like you are inundated. Um, there should be a ton of work with all these streaming services coming up now, or is that wrong? No, that's right. It's a really good time to be a television writer in particular. When I when I, I got my master's degree in screenwriting, and at the time, most, most people, most of my fellow students wanted to be film writers, and there were already more jobs in TV than film, but but now, 10 years later, it's, it's so much more so that almost every writer you know at least does some work in television if they're working professionally. Yeah. What, what, um, do you kind of use some of the same ideas over again when you're doing stuff like that? Of course. No one listens, yeah. so don't worry about that. Yeah, you got you recycle the good ones for sure. Um, hopefully, put a new spin on them so that no one knows. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think the way you just keep it fresh is is honestly the writers' rooms. I'm in a writers' room right now with nine other writers, and and there's twelve or thirteen people in there on any given day, and and that that's the most helpful part of the creative process is just having a lot of different people and a lot of different perspectives and put them all together, and something new should come out of that room every day. But there must be one person in that room you hate. It's just myself. No. Oh, come on, give us some names. Give us some. No, here. no, no. It, it it's really fun, especially having written the book and, and doing this experience. It is fun to get back into a room. I hadn't been in a writers' room since I think 2018. So, and I hadn't hadn't really had a job that took me out of the house in a long time. Not that this takes me out of the house. It's all on Zoom, but metaphorically, I get to leave the house for a few hours, so it's fun. Is there a lot of pressure writing for TV? 
Yeah, well, so I'm I'm actually the showrunner of the show this season, which is a new new role for me, and, and that that has a lot more pressure than uh, than the old jobs. But uh, yeah, there, there's pressure. I, I think most of it is on the showrunner for the for the writers' room. You're really trying to deliver for the showrunner and and get outlined stories and scripts into them, and then the showrunner has to deal with actors, directors, sort of every other department, and, and it's pressure, and it's a, just a, a lot of different things to juggle at once. Yeah, especially with these, you know, highfalutin actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun. It's 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 fun getting to getting to know the actors a bit. Now, I mean, it used to be different in television, but now a lot of TV writers really don't get to go to set. They don't get to meet the actors and directors. They don't produce their own episodes, and and it's sort of a bummer. But um, yeah, it's nice to be able to have the opportunity to do that. Are you going to give us some gossip? I don't have any gossip yet. I have not left this writer's room. So all I can tell you is about the writers that I work with and writers aren't interesting enough. None of us are. So yeah, no, we we'll, we'll see after writers. we film it. Yeah. No, oh, I, I want some know. gossip. Come on. I want some. I, I, I have not met any of the actors yet, so I don't know anything, but okay. I'll try to get some for the next time. Well, you have get me. some and, and make something up if you can't. Right. I mean, okay. I'll try. Um, now, now, uh, how do you like to interact? I guess, like you said, you weren't really a social media and stuff. So, What's the outlay now? You, you've got like a website, you've got social media accounts. Where can your your favorite fans and readers find you? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have a website, joeyheartstone.com. I'm, I'm at JC Heartstone on Twitter and Instagram. And, yeah, you can find me there at any of those three. And, and um, yeah, this is an interesting experience because – when you're seated between Rob Reiner and Woody Harrelson, nobody wants to talk to you. Uh, and so that's what I'm used to, but now it's just me. And so if anyone bothers to read the book and they want to reach out, I guess I'm the person they're going to want to talk to So I'm yeah. looking forward to, yeah. to do that. Well, we recommend all hate mail going there and everybody yes. that's upset, please. I will read it all and take it all very <laughs> take personally, it all in, I assure you. <laughs> you know, you'd be like me. You just go after them, you know, just, just yeah. take them out. You know. No, you you know those people who say they don't read bad reviews. I don't I don't know if they're ever telling the truth, but I won't even pretend that that's not true. That that would be my way. Uh, I will read anything negative about myself and believe it all. Yeah. <laughs> to my core. <laughs> well, you know, you can take two aspects. You know, I get I get a um, a lot, and <laughs> let me tell you, <laughs> okay. it's the best way. <laughs> he said, "I bet." Yeah, yeah. But the best way <laughs> to deal with it is either you you just say, "Yeah, you're right." Absolutely. I cannot write. Everything you say is right. Or you can always say, look, I don't go to your job and slap the sailor's cock out of your mouth. So don't, yeah. don't tell me how to do my job. So let me tell you, that's the two best ways. Okay. And you get even more of this same mail, and I can't figure out why. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let me tell you, we're going to have... All of that up on our website so people can find you with one click and then they can cool. kind of pass on their, their love for you, you know. Great. Um, so we appreciate it. Um, now, the book we're talking about is called The Local, and the author is <laughs> Joey Hartstone, who's, who's been our guest. And um, like I said, please, he, ne he needs money, so buy the <laughs> book, okay, so that he can start having his own series, you know. People, get on it. You know, so well. Thank good. you, thank you for being here, Joey. This is thank uh, you for having me. <laughs> been a thrill. I had sure. a blast. Yes. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino movie reviews. 
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is here production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.